0: I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to the book of Jonah. Back to the book of Jonah, we will be looking at the end of Jonah this morning, but I have not decided if that means we are yet done with Jonah. But we are definitely going to read the end of it today as we will focus in on Jonah 4, verses 4 through 11 the title this morning is learning to stay in our lane learning to stay in our lane let's hear from God's word this morning and the Lord said do you do well to be angry Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Our Heavenly Father, help us this morning to listen and to take seriously the question that you have set not only before Jonah, not only before Israel of old, but that you are setting before us as well. Help us to ponder and to reflect and to receive what you are showing us and revealing to us about who you are and about how you want us to respond. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, just a few years ago, there was uh, an AT&T commercial campaign and you probably remember it it was it was their just okay campaign right just okay is not okay and the obviously the point is to try to show themselves as providing a superior product and and so we shouldn't just settle for for mediocre in these other companies but we should want only the excellence of AT and T. And most of the commercials were 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 logically uh, complete buffoonery. The the, the, the the joke of the commercial never fit what they were actually trying to sell. It was used to aggravate me to no end, and most commercials do. But there was one that I just really liked anyway, and there was one that just stuck in my brain even though it, it the, what stuck with me was not the point they were trying to make and 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 so it was a commercial where this guy is going in uh to get his first tattoo and he he looks like a you know your normal guy he looks like he could be a banker right he's just very clean cut wearing you know like a like a polo shirt tucked into some khakis not the kind of person you expect to see at the tattoo parlor but yet he's there nonetheless he's decided to get a tattoo and he's in the chair and he is obviously extremely nervous and so the tattoo artist trying to put him at ease says relax amigo it's going to look okay well that just freaks him out all the more whoa, 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 what do you mean okay isn't it going to be good? Aren't you? Aren't you a good tattoo artist? And he's like, Hey, I'm one of the tattoo artists here. He will not commit that it's going to be good. He is he is solidly planted in in that that mediocre medium territory. It's going to be okay, and so he he can the the, the customer continues to get. You know, more and more nervous, and, and the guy continues to try to put him at ease, but nothing is happening. So the tattoo artist decides, well, I'm just going to go ahead and start. And so he starts to do the tattoo, and the guy stops him and says, well, aren't you supposed to, to draw it first? And the tattoo artist, without skipping a beat, says, stay in your lane, bro. I love that probably because it reminds me of so many of my friends in the past, but stay in your lane, bro. What's the point? I'm the tattoo artist. You're not. I know what I'm doing. You don't. This is your first time here. I've done a lot. Even if they have all been mediocre, I've done a lot. I know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing. Stay in your lane. One of the things that we continue to see in Jonah throughout this book is that from beginning to end, Jonah is not staying in his lane. Jonah has moved from compliant acceptance after his time in the fish now to angry resentment. And he is angry because... Yahweh has lived up to Jonah's biggest fear. Yahweh has been compassionate and merciful. What Jonah wanted was wrath and condemnation. Now, not for himself. (laughs) No, no, not for himself. He wanted wrath and condemnation, you know, for those pagans. You know, those Ninevites. And yet even after he received God's relenting of a judgment against him for his own rebellion, where where we saw that that initial response of of compliance, where he got the second opportunity to go, he went and he gave the proclamation. And even as the text emphasized for us, he didn't go about and say, hey, look what Yahweh just did for me, and talk about his grace. Instead, he gives the bare minimum. In so many days, God's going to turn your city upside down. And God does turn the city upside down. Just not the way Jonah thought it was going to happen. Not with wrath and condemnation and things being destroyed but people repenting. A violent city saying that it will give up its violence. More repentance than we have seen in Jonah up to this point, for sure. God is compassionate. God is willing to relent of the, condemnation that by the way would be justice it wouldn't be wrong but God is a compassionate God and that is exactly what Jonah feared and so now Jonah responds emotionally to seeing God not do what Jonah thought God should do God's gentleness with Jonah just immediately can be seen in the way that God responds to Jonah's anger. Do you do well to be angry? Notice that that God doesn't come down on to Jonah. How dare you be angry with me? He asks, do, do you do well to be angry? God gives Jonah the the mercy that Jonah is not wanting others to receive. He is gentle, like a father. Now, note here, by the way, even though this is not one of the main points here, we cannot lose sight of this. Before we get into the, the negative things, that we are to learn from, from Jonah's sins and failures, let's also learn from something he does correctly here. Jonah is honest with God about his feelings. He is angry. He is so angry he says he wants to die. But rather than trying to suppress that, rather than trying to ignore it, rather than trying to put on a nice smiling face for Yahweh, Oh, well, yeah, I'm totally good with everything you're doing right now. He's honest. I'm angry. And his honesty, it it, it takes him to the one place where, where he has any hope of having that anger dealt with, and not dealt with in terms of judgment and condemnation, but the opportunity to work through his anger with a compassionate, gentle, heavenly Father. Now, you and I so often will get mad, we will get mad at God, But we don't like to say that that's what we're doing. And so we'll ignore it and we'll suppress it. And what happens is we start living in this anger that starts to seep out in bitterness towards everything. But it will especially change the way we interact with the everyday providence of what God is bringing into our lives and what God is doing with our lives. And when we live in that state of anger and bitterness, it doesn't allow us to acknowledge and, and live in the presence and power of the God who is near to us. And instead, what we do is we put distance between us and God. Now, how silly is that? Can you keep anything from God? If you are feeling angry... At, at anything, can you keep that anger from him? If you're feeling angered towards him, can you hide that from him? I mean, God was so present with Jonah that even as Jonah found himself drowning in the depths of the chaotic waters, God was there, had a fish, had provisions. You can't hide these things. And it's silly when we attempt to. But it's also harmful because the only person that we actually end up hiding these things from or keeping these things from is ourselves. And when you keep, when you attempt to keep this to yourself, all you're doing is cutting yourself off from the compassionate father who is ready to be there and to ask you, do you do well with this anger? And then is willing to walk with you and take you through the situation to try to lead you out of that anger. So he does that right. He's honest about his anger. All right, but now he does a lot of bad things. And he does normal things, things that you and I do on a rather consistent basis. God asks him, do you do well to be angry, and what what does Jonah do? He doesn't answer. He doesn't answer, and once again, he walks away from God. The text tells us that rather than answering God about his anger, he walks away east of the city, makes a booth for himself, and he waits to see what will happen. Now, for him to be uh, expressed, it was expressed here that he goes east of Nineveh, it is a symbolic reason that, that it's being described this way. Going east is a way of helping us really know where his heart is. Jonah's heart is still steeped in rebellion. Jonah has not gone any further than where he was all the way back in Jonah 1. He is going east, and and going east is always a big deal in the scripture. The the most obvious place that I'm sure jumped to your minds is Genesis 3, that when Adam and Eve are judged by God and they're sent out of Eden, they are sent east of Eden. They are sent out to the east, and the only way for them to come back into the garden temple presence of God would to be to come out of the east into the west. And by the way, the tabernacle was always situated where you would come from the east into the tabernacle by moving west. And the further west you moved in the tabernacle, the more holy the tabernacle became. Same orientation for the temple. Uh, And regardless of which temple we're talking about, but all of the different temples that were erected in Jerusalem, if you were to come into the temple presence of God, you came from the east, you moved west, and the further west that you moved within the temple, the more holy the temple became, uh, became. His moving east is revealing where his heart is. And it's not just with Genesis 3. It's not just with the tabernacle or the temple. Genesis 11. We are told that the the people, rather than doing what God had told them to do after the flood, which was to be fruitful and to multiply and to do what? To go throughout the earth. Instead, they have stayed together. They're one large group And it says that they are migrating east. And the further east they go, the more hardened their hearts are becoming. And they decide, we're going to build this big tower, which was really a ziggurat. And we're going to build this big place of worship where we set ourselves up as being equal to the gods. Lot, when he departed from from Abraham and, and he was... Uh, enticed by what he thought was good land, he went east into Sodom and Gomorrah. Going east, and there's more, but going east is always symbolic in the Bible of someone moving away from God. Jonah's heart has not changed, even though he received the mercy of rescue, the mercy of the fish, the mercy of God relenting, the mercy of God giving him another chance. None of this has, has resulted in Jonah's heart changing. He is still in rebellion. He's been quite happy to receive all of these blessings from God, but it hasn't led to him changing Towards God, towards the Ninevites. He is the same. And if you recall from Jonah chapter two, Jonah never repents when he's in the way when he's in the, the belly of the fish. He never actually repents. He never says sorry. He never accepts responsibility. In fact, he says, I'm in this fish because of you. He never repents. He's happy to receive grace but he never repents. And then we see that for sure now. Teaches us a lot about repentance, by the way. Repentance is never words. It is always attitudes of the heart reflected in activities and actions. Even his going to Nineveh when given the second opportunity, it was not his, his, his interaction there what did not indicate that his heart had changed. It did not indicate that his attitude had changed. In fact, the text is making it clear to us that it had not. He is willing to go through the motions, but he is still not yet on the same page with God. He still thinks that he knows what is best for Nineveh. So he moves east. We are then told, and by the way, by moving east, he's going into the desert. He's going once again, just like he went in, was plunged into the chaotic waters of judgment and death back at the end of 1, and as he describes in, in, in chapter 2, he once again is going into a geographical region that was associated with chaos and death. You have the the water, and you have desert. The oceans represented that in the ancient Near East. The desert represented that in the ancient Near East. And so once again, he is, he is going out into chaos and death. And he has said, back in verse 3, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. But does does Jonah really want to die? No. Well, how do we know that? Well, he makes a booth for himself. So he goes east, and and it's like... All right, Lord, I'm, I'm going off into this horrible, this horrible thing. Let me see what you're going to do. And, 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 you know, like children do with their parents, right? Well, I mean, not my kids, but I've read books. I've seen it in yours. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I've seen it in my heart. It's kind of a test. Well, I'm going to go this way. Let's see what happens. And he goes and he makes a booth for himself because he doesn't really want to die. Why would he make protection for himself in the desert? Notice it says he makes the booth for himself in order that he can sit in the shade. The problem is his booth ain't very good. Jonah's booth is tantamount to Adam's fig leaf. He cannot, even as he is going off into the desert, he can't take care of himself there. He says he wants to die. He really doesn't. But even though he doesn't want to die, he cannot take care of himself adequately in the state of the desert. And so God, in his grace, makes a plant that does actually provide the shade that Jonah was looking for. And even more than that, It doesn't just provide shade, we are told that it delivers him from his discomfort. Where where his attempt was not working, God's provision is working. And Jonah, who just whined, saying he wants to die, is exceedingly glad that he has the shade and that his discomfort is being relieved. Once again, he is quite happy to receive a merciful provision from God. But then God takes it away. And what does Jonah do? He once again reveals the true status of where his attitude and where his heart is. And he once again, he gets angry, he gets mad, he pitches a fit and says, let me die. Jonah is not getting what he wants. And so he's pitching a fit. Well, what does Jonah want? Well, we don't have to guess. Because not only did he go east, not only did he make a booth for himself, we are told that he is sitting there waiting to see what will happen. Will the Ninevites really keep up this repentance that they're claiming? Or will they be like me (laughs) and fail and then force God's hand to do something? Will they fail at their repentance? Will they fail? Will they fail? And he's excited. He wants to see them fail. He wants them to show who they really are. They're Ninevites. There's no way they can repent. They they are so beyond anything that that God can do for them, and it's just a matter of time, and and they're going to reveal the truth. How easy it is for us sometimes to get really excited about the potential failure of some group of sinners that we think are really bad. He wants Nineveh to fail in its repentance. Or, or he wants God to change his mind. Now God relented with Jonah, right? Jonah deserved to go down to the depths of those waters and stay there, but instead God relented and did what? He he provided Maybe God will change his mind with the Ninevites, but this time in the other direction. Maybe God will come to his senses and realize how silly it is to offer grace to the Ninevites. How unworthy and how undeserving. I mean, they are so unrighteous and rebellious against him as their creator. He'll he'll figure it out. And so he sits and he waits. He moves east. He reveals his rebellion he tries to take care of himself, but he is not able to truly do so. And he is waiting and, and relishing the opportunity for things to fail. He's waiting to see what will happen. Will, will Nineveh live up to his negative expectations? Will God live up? to Jonah's preferences. You see, Jonah has gotten out of his lane. These aren't decisions for Jonah to make. And by way of analogy, what God is wanting the the church of Jonah's day and what he is wanting the church today to, to wake up to is just how easy it is for us in self-righteous willingness to receive God's grace in order to turn around and act as judges and, and to condemn others, how much we need to wake up that we get out of our lanes as well. Jonah is a prophet of the Lord. He is not the Lord himself. And the role of prophet was to only speak the words or do the things that the Lord explicitly told him to say or to do. To go beyond that was to move beyond the role of prophet and to assume a role that was not his to assume. He he is the one that has been sent as an ambassador to represent someone else. He is not the one who is getting to decide what should happen to the Ninevites. He is out of his lane. He is not serving as the prophet he is called to be. He wants to assume the responsibilities and prerogatives of the Lord. He has gotten out of his lane because he does not want to function as the creature. He instead wants to function as the creator himself. He tries to make something to deal with his own problems, and all it does is reveal that he doesn't have the power to actually accomplish what he is trying to do apart From the Lord because he needs the Lord. He needs his creator to provide him what he cannot provide for himself. And God has done that in order to reveal by way of analogy that just like you and I can can forget that we are creatures and instead we want to try to do something and create something and to make something and to develop a provision for something in the church or our families, or our own personal lives. And we forget that we don't have the sovereign power or prerogative to do it. We are always 100% completely dependent upon him for everything. He doesn't have the power to take care of himself, let alone for him to assume the role of creator and to start deciding what should happen to these other creatures. He can't take care of himself. What on earth makes him think that he can decide on how the Ninevites should or should not be taken care of. They're not his. And yet he has gotten out of his lane by assuming the role of creator and forgetting that he is but creature. And he has gotten out of his moral lane. You see, he is assuming that he is more righteous when all that has been revealed is that he is as rebellious as the Ninevites themselves. He has no moral character to make decisions about what other sinners should receive. He doesn't have the moral vision to know... You know when to extend grace, when to extend mercy, when to be compassionate, whereas at other times when to to be wrathful, when to uh, enact justice. Who can make those decisions when the heart is broken? And yet you and I we do this all the time we we try to make decisions about what we should ha- think should happen to us or to a loved one to our families to the church and especially to our society who should win? Who should lose? Who who should be rewarded with mercy and who should get justice? And we make these decisions over and over and over. And we forget the fact that you and I do not have the moral character or vision to make those decisions with the vision of eternity in mind and with the purposes of the sovereign prerogative of the Creator at hand. He is not the Lord He is a mouthpiece. He is not the creator. He is a dependent creature. He is not the righteous judge he is trying to be. He is the rebellious sinner who is equally in need of either justice or mercy. And it's not for him to decide. It is for God. How often do we, like Jonah, like Israel of old, fail to stay in our lane? And yet, how compassionate, how gentle, how steadfast, how faithful and how loving God the Father is with the rebellious, whether they are the rebellious within the covenant or the rebellious outside of the covenant. He is compassionate with us. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He remembers our frame that we are dust. He does not give up on us. But he pursues us, and he constantly is revealing himself to us so that we can get to know him more accurately, so that we can get to know ourselves more truthfully, and so that we, and knowing him better, knowing ourselves better, can serve him in a way that is appropriate for the privilege that we have of being his children and being his ambassadors, being his mouthpieces being creatures that point others to the the eternal, independent God who has chosen to make himself connected to a finite, frail, sinful, rebellious people, regardless of tribe, tongue, or nation and so relentless and faithful and loving and compassionate is he in his pursuit of his eternal purposes within the moral character and vision that he has he has finally and ultimately revealed himself as well as his methods and his purposes as his son took on flesh and as his son his son took on the sins of rebellious people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in order to reveal the compassion of God and to reveal the justice of God, where on the cross in Jesus Christ, mercy and justice have kissed. Beloved, you and I would never have come up with this we would have always, in the frailty of our own perspectives, we would have always failed to accomplish what is needed that God in his sovereign power and prerogatives has not only revealed but is accomplishing in Jesus Christ. And so don't fear the role of prophet. Don't fear the role of creature. And don't fear acknowledging that you are still, even in the forgiveness you have in Christ, still wrestling with a rebellious heart, with attitudes and actions that so frequently contradict who God is, what he has done for us, and who he has made us in Jesus Christ. Beloved, the call here is to humble ourselves and to embrace the role that we have and to stay in our lane as our lives are offered in service to God, representing His truth, His goodness, and His beauty as we ourselves embrace it, as we experience it, as we embody it, and as we extend it to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a vivid portrait of how easy it is for us to get out of our lanes, while at the same time revealing to us just how thoroughly compassionate and merciful you are to those who do. Use your word, Use the prayers that have been offered today. Use the sacraments we have received. Use these to continue to change us and to conform us to who you are. And as you have revealed yourself in your son, that we can provide a hopeful picture to those around us. And rather than say, watch out before God judges you. Might we say, Look with what? Look at what God has done for me in Christ. Father, help us to let go of our own personal judgments and preferences and prejudices, and help us to reflect more and more what you have revealed. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.